This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. From Luke 2, verses 25 through 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Shoveling snow. I had to watch my neighbor to learn how to do that. Uh, A first-time experience. But truly, we are just blessed by your warmth, by your prayers, by your generosity. Um, We are so grateful to be here. Um, it's, It's interesting... I receive emails almost daily uh, from friends in California and from people from our former church, Sanctuary Church in Windsor. And I remember one a few days ago, uh, he said, uh, Pastor Todd, it's 70 degrees today in Windsor. What's the weather like in Alaska? <laughs> and I said, snow, cold, more cold. Don't ask again until May. (laughs) Um, Every day is a learning experience for us, truly. Uh, And we are watching and we are learning. Uh, This morning, Carla shared with me about snow dogs. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing this phenomena with the sun and the cold. And, of course, the uh, aurora borealis and uh, driving on ice and all the things. A holiday on ice here in Alaska. Uh, it's just a wonderful thing. So we're getting acclimated, uh, and it is cold. It reminds me of a mission trip to Romania. That uh, was at the time in which, um, shortly after the fall of communism, and we went up through Romania to Moldova, which used to be the former Soviet Union. And uh, they, they punished the Moldovans, the Soviets did, or the Russians now. They punished them by turning off uh, their gas. And so they didn't have heat. It was in the dead of winter. It was February. And I was invited to go and preach at a church there in Chisinau, which is the capital of Moldova. And I walked into uh, a school, which is where the church was, and it was freezing cold. 
Uh, there was no heat. The people that were seated where you are, they had the little traditional fur hats on in their coats. And they had their gloves and their Bibles open. And uh, they were there and they were ready. And the pastor uh, of the church, he came up onto the platform with me and had his overcoat and he took his overcoat off. And I looked at him and I said, I have to take my overcoat off. And there I was just in my suit coat. It must have been just above freezing in this school uh, auditorium. And I said, Pastor, it's cold in here. And he said, yes, I love the cold. He says, why? He says, because only the real Christians come to church when it's cold. (laughs) So it's wonderful to be in the company of real Christians <laughs> coming together to church in the cold. Seriously, as, as we think about Christmas, as Lori and I have thought about Christmas, one of the impressions of our first week here in Alaska is this. Uh, you hear the 24-hour uh, Christmas songs on the radio, and we like to listen to those all through the Christmas season. And so we were listening to the songs again and they were singing about snowmen and they were singing about sleigh bells and they were singing about wanting a white Christmas. And it finally dawned on me. You see, my whole life growing up in California, most of it Southern California, um, those were just words to a song. And when people talked about white Christmas or the snow or the cold weather, it didn't mean anything to us. They were just words. But this Christmas, they mean something to us. And I was telling Lord, I said, I get it now. I really get it. These songs mean something when they sing about Christmas and cold and snow and and all the things that we associate with the Christmas season. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about Christmas itself. And you know, there are a lot of people who are going to sing those carols. And they may be acclimated to the cold. They may be familiar with the cold. They may be familiar with the customs surrounding the cold and Christmas. But they don't know the God of Christmas. They don't know the Savior whose advent we we celebrate and whose second advent we await. And, And for them, singing Christmas carols about Jesus... And about the coming of our King has really no more meaning than singing about snow and sleigh bells and snowmen did to me until a week ago. I get it now. I understand it now. And, and as we come into Advent, as we celebrate the, the birth of our Savior, as, as we reflect upon the things that we're waiting for in our series called Worth the Wait, Waiting for hope, waiting for joy, waiting for peace, waiting for love, waiting for a Christmas to remember. As we reflect the next several weeks on all the things that we're waiting for, we need to remember that there are many, many people in our lives, in our world, in our community, in our schools, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, perhaps even in our families who will sing the Christmas carols, who will enjoy the celebrations of Christmas. But like me, singing about winter and Christmas songs and not getting it, they don't get it either. 
because they haven't had a life-changing encounter with a God of Advent. They don't know what it means when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Instead, their lives are filled with so many other things and really what they experience. And if we're not careful, we can fall into into the same trap of experiencing a a pseudo-Christmas as illustrated by this reversion I'm going to read of the night before Christmas. "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the town, not a sign of baby Jesus was anywhere to be found. The people all busy with Christmas time chores like decorating and baking and shopping in stores. No one sang a away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Instead, they sang of Santa dressed up in bright red. Mama watched Martha Stewart. Papa drank beer from a tap as hour upon hour the presents they'd wrap. When what from the TV did they suddenly hear crept an ad which told of a big sale at Sears. So away to the mall they all flew in a flash, buying things on credit and other things with cash. And as they made their way home from their trip to the mall, did they think about Jesus? Oh no, not at all. Their lives are so busy with their Christmas time things, no time to remember Jesus Christ, the King. There were presents to wrap and cookies to bake. How could they stop and remember who died for their sake? To pray to the Savior, they had no time to stop because they needed more time to shop till they dropped. On Walmart, on Kmart, on Target, on pennies, on Hallmark, on Zales, a quick lunch at Denny's. From the big stores downtown to the stores at the mall, they would dash away, dash away, and visit them all. And up on the roof there arose such a clatter as Grandpa hung icicle lights upon his brand new stepladder. He hung lights that would flash. He hung lights that would twirl. Yet he never once prayed to Jesus, the light of the world. Christ's eyes, how they twinkle. Christ's spirit, how merry. Christ's love, how enormous. All of our burdens he'll carry. So instead of being busy, busy, overworked, and uptight, let's put Christ back in Christmas and enjoy some good nights. Now, we laugh tongue-in-cheek, but can you see yourself a little bit of ourselves in that poem? How easy it is to forget the message of Christmas. How easy it is to forget what we are actually waiting for. Uh, Today, our theme is waiting for hope. It's been said that human beings can live 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, but we cannot live four seconds without hope. Hope is such an important thing in our lives. And one of the central themes of Christmas, of Advent, is hope. It's the hope that only God brings. And He brings it through the birth of His Son, our Savior, 
Jesus Christ. And yet again, how easy it is in the busyness of the season to be waiting for other things and, and for our focus to be on something other than Jesus. Some of those things are good things. I remember a time, it was, uh, what, Lori? 13 years, no, 23 years ago now. 23 years ago. When we were living in Sacramento, and I was the area director with Prison Fellowship Ministries, and we had a big, big budget to raise. And it was November, it was the, um, the weekend of Thanksgiving. And we were in bad shape financially. The ministry was in bad shape. And I had to learn a lesson on waiting and a lesson on hope. So a lesson we're going to find in our story today with Simeon. There was a man in my life, his name was Don. He was my mentor in prayer. When I first came to Sacramento to work with Prison Fellowship, I went to his office. He was a local businessman, and I, I knocked on his door and was there to solicit funding. And he said to me, son, he was 67 at the time, I was 33, He said, son, silver and gold I do not have, but what I want to give you, I'll give you in the name of Jesus. I can't write you a check, but I will promise to do this. I will meet with you every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. in my study, and I will pray with you and for you. Now, I have to tell you, that really wasn't what I was looking for. But I went. And I learned about waiting from dawn. And I learned about hope from dawn. And I learned about what it meant to pray into something. To pray with a desperation and an anticipation of an expectation that God was going to do something that was far greater than you could expect or imagine. That's what I learned from years of praying every week at 6 o'clock in the morning with dawn. And in that that year when the finances were so tight, I remember going to Don and saying, Don, we need to pray. We need to pray that the money would come in and, and we need to pray that, that the ministry would get going. And, and I tell him all the things we need to pray for. And he said, no, no, Todd, you just need to pray. You need to pray that Jesus would show up and do a miracle. I said, yeah, yeah, I know all that stuff, Don. But, but I have a plan and I'm working my plan and the money's not coming in and I don't know what else to do. And he'd say, you just need to pray that Jesus will show up and, and perform a miracle. And we'd pray and he would cry out to the Lord and he'd intercede to the Lord and I'd kind of listen and say, wow, this guy's really serious about this thing called prayer. And I'll never forget, it was the day after Thanksgiving, we were babysitting some people's children at their house. They were away on vacation. We had extended weekend with these kids. And I received a phone call from a man that I had known through a Bible study just casually. In fact, it was a couple study that Lori and I were in. And he said, Todd, uh, are you available? I want to come and meet with you. I said, great, we'll set up an appointment. He says, no, I want to meet with you today. And he and his wife came to the house where we were staying. It was on 41st Street in in, uh, the fabulous 40s in Sacramento. And he said, Todd... uh, I understand you're probably wondering why I'm here today. I said, well, yes, I am. It's the day after Thanksgiving, and and I am wondering why you wanted to come and meet with me today, why this couldn't wait until next week. He says, well, 
I've been observing your ministry and hearing about you and the Bible study that we're in together. And my wife and I have been blessed with lots of money, and we've earned fortunes and lost fortunes. And he says, um, we want to, to give to a ministry where we think our money will count. And he says, what's your budget this year? And I gave him some astronomical number, and I kind of choked on it. And he said, consider it met. I'll write a check for you. And if you need any more money, let me know. I don't want you to worry about your budget. I just want you to do the things that Jesus wants you to do in the ministry. And Lori and I have affectionately called that the miracle on 41st Street. (laughs) We will never, ever forget that. And all of a sudden, like like the Christmas songs about snow, I finally got it. I understood what my prayer mentor Don was trying to teach me to do. To place my hope in the Lord and my hope in Him alone. To know that sometimes your best isn't good enough. And it's when you come to the end of yourself. It's then, as you press into the Lord, as you wait upon Him, as you place your hopes upon Him that you experience the miracle. And in this case, in our story, the miracle of Christmas. This morning we're looking at Simeon. And and Simeon to me is like Dawn. Uh, We're going to become acquainted with him this morning in the Scripture, and we're going to learn some things about Simeon that are really important to us. Simeon waited for God's promise to be fulfilled. His hopes were realized in God's gift of Jesus. Now, many people celebrate Christmas without ever asking themselves why they are celebrating it or considering how they should celebrate. Insights gained from Simeon can help us realize what you and I are waiting for as we celebrate uh, the Advent. Simeon's celebration of Jesus' birth, what we're going to read again this morning in Scripture, is going to remind us of four things. Let's unpack those verses again. Luke 2, 25 through 35. Let's start in Luke 2, 25 through 26. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's interesting. We don't know much about Simeon. What we do know is that he's a righteous and devout man, and that he was a man who was waiting, and much like Don taught me to do, to wait in an attitude of prayer. And he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. There had been many, many dark centuries in the history of the Jewish people. For over six centuries, they had been oppressed. At the time of of Simeon's waiting, the oppressors were the Romans. Prior to the Romans, they were the Greeks. Before the Greeks, they were the Persians. Before the Persians, they were the Babylonians. And before the Babylonians, they were the Assyrians. And the people of Israel, the Jewish people, had a hope. The hope was for the Messiah, the one who was going to be the consolation 
of Israel, the promised one that God had promised to bring to them. And yet, in this first Christmas, the hope was dim. There was darkness. And yet, there was a man named Simeon who waited for the consolation of Israel. His hope was in God. And it says here that the Holy Spirit was upon him and the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Christ. It reminds me of Isaiah 49, 23, which reads, those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. Can we say that together? Those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. And, and what was he hoping for? Well, he was hoping for uh, the Messiah, the, the Messiah that we read about this morning in the reading in, in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Uh, the Messiah that we read about this morning in the reading in Isaiah 61. He was familiar with those verses. He was familiar with those prophecies. Yet his hope didn't wane. He waited prayerfully. The Holy Spirit had made it a promise to him. And we learn from Simeon in verses 25 through 26 that faithful living involves waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. Faithful waiting, faithful living involves waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. And that's certainly what Simeon was doing. And the same is true for you and me. Whatever you're hoping for, whatever you're waiting for, faith involves waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. And we learn from a devout man named Simeon or a devout man in my life named Don that that waiting involves prayer. That waiting involves holding on to the promises of God. In verses 27 through 28, it says, Moved by the Spirit, Simeon, who was waiting, went into the temple courts. When the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him into his arms and praised God. Now, the customs associated here in this passage of Scripture, you'll find in Leviticus 12. Uh, when a male baby was born, the mother and father were to wait for seven days. Then there was to be on the eighth day a circumcision, and certainly that happened to Jesus. Then 33 days later, there was to be a purification sacrifice and ritual for the mother. And that purification was symbolic that, that she had been cleansed before the Lord. And how ironic here is, Mary, Jesus' mother, went through that purification ritual and sacrifice that it was really representative of what her son was going to do for you and I as he redeems us and as he purifies us and cleanses us from our sin. And so they would have waited till the eighth day and he would have been circumcised. 33 days later, Mary, in this instance, would have gone through the purification ritual and then according to Exodus 13.2, they would have taken the baby boy, the firstborn male child, to the temple to be consecrated to the Lord. And this is exactly what's happening here. And so moved by the Spirit, Simeon goes and he's waiting. 
And just as God had promised, he was going to encounter the Lord's Christ. And in verses 27 through 28, it says, Simeon took him in his arms and praised. And what do we learn here? We learn that the Spirit leads us to recognize and share with others the message of Christmas. Quite literally, you and I have an opportunity this Christmas to encounter the Christ child, to take Him in our arms, into our lives, into our hearts again, and to declare His glory, and to share the message of Christmas with others. Yes, Simeon reminds us that faithful waiting, faithful living involves waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. But he also reminds us that the Spirit leads us to recognize and share with others the message of Christmas. And that's exactly what Simeon's about to do as we read on in verses 29 through 32. Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. He had experienced what he had been waiting for. God had delivered on his hope. He had encountered literally and held in his arms the consolation of Israel in the Christ child. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For your eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to your people. Israel. And here's the key part of this verse. My eyes have seen your salvation. And every time we come to the manger at Christmas, every time we encounter the narrative of Jesus' birth, our eyes see our salvation. We recognize as Simeon did that in his arms he held the promise of God. And in Jesus we hold the fulfillment of all of our waiting. We hold the promise of God in Christ. And all of our hopes, no matter what they are, are ultimately and eventually met in the person of Jesus Christ. That's where true fulfillment comes. And that's the message of Simeon. Nothing short of the consolation of Israel. Nothing short of that encounter with the Messiah would fulfill his heart and his waiting and his longing for hope. And so we learn the joy in receiving God's gift to us comes from acknowledging our need. His eyes came upon the salvation of Israel. The salvation of of all people who come to know Jesus by faith. And the joy in Christmas is knowing that we have a Savior, that you have a Savior, that I have a Savior. His name is Jesus. He was born on Christmas Day. He's the God incarnate that we celebrate at Advent. Without the recognition of our need, without knowing that without Him we are separated from God by our sin, then we can't possibly experience the joy that that Simeon experienced when he recognized that there, in front of him, there in his arms, was his salvation. 
And our joy comes from recognizing that in Jesus, we experience our salvation. The joy in receiving God's gift to us comes through acknowledging our need. You and I are in desperate need of a Savior. And at Christmas, we encounter Him fresh and anew. He also said that He's a Savior prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. John 8, 12 says this. Jesus is what? The light of the world. Can we say that together? Jesus is the light of the world. And it's that light that we celebrate. That light that shines in our heart. And so number one, faithful living, we learn from Simeon, involves waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. Number two, the Spirit leads us to recognize and share the message of Christmas with others. Number three, the joy in receiving God's gift comes through acknowledging our need. We're in desperate need of a Savior, and God delivers at Christmas. But number four, we're going to read that Christmas calls us to look beyond the manger. Verses 33 through 35. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your heart too. And that's a direct reference to Isaiah 8.14 and to 1 Peter 2.8 in which Jesus is referred to as a stumbling block for some. For some, He's their salvation. For those who embrace Him. For those who recognize that He is the Lord's consolation. That God has delivered and are waiting for hope. And in Jesus, we find our hopes met. Ultimately, every hope that we have can only be met in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for those who know that, that's great cause for celebration. But for those who resist it, it's a stumbling block. It's a difficult thing. There's a reading called God in a Manger. And it really talks about how Jesus can be either a hope fulfilled or a stumbling block. The world is happy to let Jesus Christ be a baby in a manger, but not willing to let Him be sovereign King and Lord that He is. Yet the central truth of the Christmas story, the child of Christmas, is God. Emmanuel, God with us. Lots of people would otherwise gladly embrace Jesus as Messiah, but don't want Him to be God. They'll welcome Him as Son of David, but not as Son of God. They don't mind celebrating the birth of a baby, but they don't want to hear about the Lord of Lords. They sing of his nativity, but brazenly reject his authority. They adore him as an infant, but will not pay homage to him as the God-man. They can tolerate the trappings of Christmas, a manger, shepherds, wise men, Joseph and Mary, but they cannot bear the advent of God in human flesh. Consequently, the world ignores the core of all Christmas truth. And for many, 
instead of honoring Jesus Christ at Christmas, their celebration ends up mocking him. And so Christmas calls us to look beyond the manger, to see that that child will grow in godly wisdom and stature and will go to a cross and die for you and me because in our sin, we are in desperate need of a Savior. And Jesus is our hope. He is the hope that we wait for. You know, it's interesting as we think of Simeon and his waiting. It was 30 years after he held that baby in his arms and declared that that baby was the hope, the consolation of Israel. It was 30 years that passed until Jesus walked into the temple and he read the scroll and declared that that on that day of the reading of Isaiah 61, in his person, it had been fulfilled. And so we learn that, that sometimes we get, a, we get a taste of the hope, but the greater fulfillment of that is yet to come. Simeon wasn't alive to hear Jesus read the scroll, which is the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. But he was alive long enough to get a taste and to embrace that hope. And so you and I, this Christmas, the first Advent, we get a taste. We get a taste of that hope. But we too are waiting for the ultimate fulfillment, for that second advent of Jesus coming again. It's that in-between time that we live in that Tyler talked about. And so this morning, as we ask the question, what are we waiting for? As we ask the question, are we waiting for the hope that can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ? We wait knowing that we have a taste of something much greater to come. We wait like Simeon, prayerfully, for our hope to be fully realized in the second advent of Jesus. And that's what his first advent calls us to, to wait, hopefully, and to know that just as Jesus came the first time as we celebrate the first Advent, so He will come a second. In a moment, the worship team is going to come up and we're going to continue to sing. But I want to call you to response. And that response this morning is to evaluate, where's your hope? What are you waiting for? What is it in your life that, that truly fulfills you? And maybe this Christmas will be an Advent, a Christmas to remember. A time in which you'll say, Lord, this Christmas I want to keep the main thing, the main thing. I want my hope, all of my hopes, whatever they may be, to be met in you. And maybe there's something specifically you're hoping for. There's something you want to go to the Lord for today. I invite you as we sing to come back. There'll be people there waiting to pray. I'm going to be there. Lori's going to be there. I'd love to pray for you. Whatever you're waiting on, whatever you're hoping for, I want to join you. And there are people who want to join you in that prayer for hope. Amen? Amen.